You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today, Stefan Auni of New Forces and Kyostad, Form Hunter, Breaking the Will. Hey, Stefan. Nice to have you here. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. Hell yeah. Heck yeah. Hi, welcome. So before we get this episode going, we are introducing a new feature on the podcast for patrons. So... Nothing will change as far as the regular episode. We're going to have our regular episodes, as always, every Wednesday. But for patrons, now every episode is going to have an extension. Whether or not we go into a little more on a recent listening, whether or not we talk a little more with a guest, it's sort of open-ended on what that extra content will be. But that will be available on the pa- on, on the Patreon. So if you listen to this through the Patreon feed, the whole episode will be, you know, the extended episode uh, after we end the free episode. So it will be introduced today. And we're going to talk to Stefan about his projects and his label uh, a little bit more after we talk about Hands 2. And, uh, you know, hopefully Noise Extra listeners have heard me raving about Stefan's work. And also, uh, you know, some of the stuff from his label has been in our recent listening and I think uh, his use of tape loops probably brought us to the album we're going to discuss today, which is Hands to Desesh. Desesh? Dikesh? I should have asked Jeff. I forgot, actually, to ask how he pronounces all these weird names he makes up. Yeah, this is part of a, a series. This is number two in the series, and this was originally released on Big Body Parts. But I think we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that. In a minute, right now, uh, Connolly's. What have you been listening to? Well, our recent listening may not be completely in line with the podcast, but it's but, truly our recent listening, and it's also Gray's fault. Yeah, so it's, it's true. It's why we are bringing it up because Gray recommended that we pick up the recently the second edition of a book called Waiting for Another War, A History of the Sisters of Mercy, 1980 to 1985. It came out a few years ago, but there was a new edition that just came out on paperback. It's fantastic. I read it in a day or two and then with and then relayed the was reading it and relaying the info to Tara. Yeah, and it's then, hard to read a book together. Yeah, but it you know, as long be, as you can you know. relay and then have just been listening to pretty much exclusively Sisters of Mercy since we last recorded and an watching episode. live footage yes. and so, videos. Hey, uh, that's that I, I got to say that's been it since our last recording. And, you know, yeah. sometimes we record episodes relatively close to each other. So it's just sort of happened that way that that's been our recent and only listening since our last recording session. Wait, what is that concert footage called? Wait, wake the the oh the last the show from eighty five Royal, Royal Albert Halls. Yeah, we watched so that good. twice last night. Stayed yeah, up, we did. Stayed up till two a.m. watching sisters' videos. We watched so, it twice. So uh, that's that's what we got. So, but I mean, hey, drum machine. Some of those, dude. You know, some of those early shows sounded like just hellish noise, just from mm-hmm. you know. Oh yeah, I think I sent you a show from '84 where oh, they're playing like outdoors. It show? sounds yeah. so nasty. <laughs> so good, yeah. and yeah, just like a drum machine clunking away in the background. I love it. I mean, Doctor Avalanche, mm-hmm. one of one of the greatest. So, I guess I think we should do a guest sandwich. I agree. Recent listening. So, 
Stefan, what you've been listening to? Man? Yeah, the listen pile is perpetually bloated, but I grabbed a few things. Uh, it's kind of been a glut of new Ultra Flies this year, which I'm not complaining at all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this wasn't to pander to Gray, but I did pull out Signaler, which was on Chondritic Sound. I feel like there are so many Ultra Flies for a while that I was like listening once and not listening. So I've had this one out and I've listened to it a bunch and it's phenomenal. Um, I pulled out the recent Sewer Election CD on Usagi, which is the label Dan is running with Eric. Um, Antarctist. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. That's a great Uh, one. I think that was in your recent listening a few episodes ago, Mm -hmm. right, Gray? It was. It's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, really good. It's kind of in that zone where like Sewer Election was full harsh noise and then got really minimal and murky. And then now there's like this middle ground where those two forces are pulling at each other. And this is kind of in that zone. So it's really great. I pulled out a CDR by Spate called Neuter. This is a little bit deeper cut. It's from this newer label called Robert Fuchs, um, which is in either Vermont or New Hampshire. I'm mixing the two up now. I can't remember which. Uh, But it's kind of all ball harsh noise, um, kind of idiosyncratic. I would maybe compare it to like Worth or Star. Okay. Into either of those. Um, So, yeah, I've been really enjoying that label stuff. And they've got a Tumblr, I think, if you want to follow that. And then I pulled out a cassette by Itzy Ramirez, which was in the recent American Erectors batch, which is a Chicago label run by Omar Gonzalez. Uh, really cool, uh, harsh electronics. I was actually supposed to play a show with her the week before New York City lockdown. So it was a tour I was going to do with Shredded Nerve right on the edge of this the pandemic suddenly becoming serious. And unfortunately, you didn't get to play the show, but I've been enjoying her tape. So hopefully we can uh, make up that show at a later date. Nice. Those American Erectors tapes. I, I got a handful of them, but they, they're they pretty hard to get. They've been going fast. Yeah, they look really good, too. Omar, Omar came out the gate with a nice visual aesthetic. Always nice to see. Uh, you know, I've seen people kind of stop labels and uh, restart them again, but largely because they want to refine their aesthetic and kind of put the past in the past. And I think that's a... I think that's uh, a good approach for some people. Certainly, like I'm not proud of how my earliest stuff looks at all, <laughs> and uh, but it's there. It's part of the legacy. But I think there's something also nice about people just sort of kicking, kicking something in, and and going for it. I'm not sure if Omar had something kind of a separate label before or not, but he, he certainly had a few. Yeah, that's what I thought. Label, yeah, there were a few. And he, he certainly kind of uh, has has refined that aesthetic, and I, yeah, those tapes do look really nice. It's hard to keep up on all this great noise that's been coming out the last few years. So, Gray, what have you been listening to? Man, I I crossed off a a pretty big want recently and had to throw it on. And that want was Molten Salt Breeder Reactor's Fracture of Silence. Uh, Heck yeah. Mm -hmm. I I think it must have been twenty some you know 21 years ago whatever that i saw joel saint germain's copy of this and it's it's been like you couldn't get it back then <laughs> like it wasn't a right. thing that yeah. it wasn't an easy object to obtain even even 20 years ago and it's been one of those things that's just been on my mind and i you know i love msbr stuff and i remember this thing being about three times the size <laughs> That, that yeah, it you think it's a is. loaf of bread. Yeah, I remember <laughs> it being like unwieldy, and it's 
I mean, it's big and and ridiculous, but it's a you know a piece of burnt foam with a cavity uh, for a cassette tape in it and a weird insert and molten salt breeder reactor is stretched a full like four inches to fit on the thing. It looks so cool. Yeah. Uh, on on sounds for consciousness rape and from 1995 and man, what a cool tape! It is so weird. The A side has got the there's like music being played under. Yeah, there's like radio. It's like radio or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, it's I, it's a real standout. It is. It's a really good one. And the two tracks on the B side are both totally different. And uh, it's spontaneous victims on Waco and driving overhead too. And the f- the first one to tie into your sisters of mercy uh, is actually called missing possession. And when we were talking there about sisters, go. I went looking for uh, a possession, a video of them playing possession live on like mm-hmm. Italian TV. It's like super tons of fog and Eldridge has that like giant wide brim hat on in it. And I could oh, not, yeah. I can't find it anymore. It's like, you know, lost to the internet graveyard. So uh, I actually truly was a missing possession in the form of a video that I wanted to watch. Hey, hey in the book, you find out where he gets that hat. Ross, can I get one now? <laughs> it's so, a road hat. My new look is a, <laughs> it's a giant hat. Uh, so yeah, Fracture Silence, uh, 10 out of 10. I mean, here you can hear your little ASMR. Yeah, I... I love <laughs> that was nice. Well, you know, I have a... a I'm had a solution for hours on the shelf because it would always fall off and uh, it stressed me out and I was worried that I would break it one day. So I put it in a bowl. A really nice looking like gold bowl. Nice actually, bowl. we said, I don't know if great, yeah. I don't know if you posted that picture. Or not. Actually, yeah. I haven't, but I was going to say, listeners, get yeah. by this time. All right, sorry, sorry, sorry. Listeners, do you own a copy of Fracture of Silence in this giant uh, loaf of bread looking burnt foam? If, and is it on display? If it is, please email gray at noiseextra.com with your photo of it on display. The Connellys have sent me theirs. Uh, Kev Geiger sent me his. Uh, please, I would love to see more of these on display in their natural habitat. Uh, maybe we'll post them on the Instagram or something. So, Yeah, it should be like in an acrylic box or something, but uh, bull. It's a, really, it's a nice, it's, it looks good, <laughs> right? Gray, ours looks good, right? Yeah, yours looks great. I mean, oh, it just... everything looks kind of insane here, but that's okay. <laughs> and uh, another oddity I got that I have to figure out where to store and was one of those things that I've wanted for 20 years. Maybe that's a, a theme to what's going on here is John Duncan's Crucible CD, uh, which comes in a wooden box. It's on Die Stadt, and it's like a 23 minute recording. Uh, of a, I think a performance it's got field recordings from like a festival in Italy where a thunderstorm happened. And, and I can't, I'm the line for me on this one between like, what's the field recording and what's the actual performance recording with, because apparently there was a storm when he was playing. I, I can't tell. I just truly love listening to this one. And, and I'd had the audio. It came in that uh that works book. There was a CD that had that, and that's it's this is collected on that. But this cool wooden box with these inserts, and it's it's like numbered, and it's signed by John Duncan, and it just is a whole cool looking thing. So, and that I remember being bigger too, like being this like three inch tall box. It's not. It's like an inch tall. I don't know why all this stuff grew to mythic proportion in my head. <laughs> And then uh, as my hands to tape is on brown paper, I picked another brown paper release to throw on, which was Stegum Sugar Shower on Traumatone. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) 
classic. I mean, the trauma tone look was that brown paper mm-hmm. and I, you know, vocals by uh, Dominic Fernow and electronics by Ryan Bloomer. And I mean, it's just nasty mid range power electronics, really, really crude, uh, simplistic, but totally overloaded. And I, I dig it. I I dug it when it came out in 2005, and I still enjoyed it in 2021. We have the LP reissue. We'll we'll have to pull that out. It's it's probably been almost since then, honestly, but I remember loving it, so we'll have to pull out the uh, LP. Yeah, it got reissued on LP like a year after it came out. That was it. It was was like immediately done. I worship Bloomer, but I don't have this for some reason. I need to get one. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Sugar Shower makes me think of Sweet Movie, and I like anything that makes me think of Sweet Movie. (laughs) Before we get into the album, a word from our sponsor. Out now on Misanthropic Agenda, Dave Phillips' To Death CD. Inspired by and dedicated to death, our only certainty in life. 80 minutes intended to be listened to as one continuous session. As the cycle begins, it also must end. Misanthropicagenda.com Desesh. I think it's desesh. There's also a recesh. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I, in my head, I was saying Dakesh, but I don't know. But you wouldn't, though, right? Because usually a C, you would generally. You're talking about I before E, except after C. It I sounds don't know. I, just, I, I was trying to sound grammatically intelligent. And as the words were coming out of my mouth, I was like, I'm in over my head. And I was hoping <laughs> Tara would come in and save me. So I don't know. Uh, you know, I think that. Jeff German would be okay with us having subjective levels of pronunciation of these words that he crafted. Uh, I, I been, think that it's open ended. Yeah, that's enough. probably true. I've been yeah. doing a hard C for like probably the most nerdy reason imaginable, which is that I'm currently rereading Lord of the Rings. And in Tolkien's uh, grammology, C's are all hard. Mm-hmm. So that is a like, very nerdy reason. I De- like it. So it'd be like Dikesh, Rakesh instead of Dissash or Resesh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, hell, that's whatever. That's like an insane reason to be doing that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know what? It's as good a reason as any. It is. You know what? <laughs> However we pronounce this, the one thing is for sure. What a cool, mysterious mm-hmm. slice of 80s noise. Absolutely. I mean, we've talked about Jeff German's work uh, on the uh, on Seven Inch Sunday. We did the Hands to Seven Inch on the wonderful Povertech Industries cipher, and ah, that one is really great too. And it's sort of nice to hear, you know, a couple of the CDs I've had for a long time are like one forty-five minute track, and it's nice to hear five distinct pieces on this uh, of varying lengths. I, I definitely appreciate kind of getting the vibe sort of it, it, they're all kind of extended pieces on one idea or each one is an extended piece on its own idea. But uh, it's nice to kind of have the changes and shifts in, in vibe between the pieces. Stefan, what path led you to hands to? Uh, I think probably just a recommendation uh, and then fell immediately in love with it. Um. And this one, I think in particular, I mean, this is probably my favorite one. And I think what stands out with this one, and we can talk about that is like hints of melody, which is so weird for this kind of sludgy tape blown out eighties cassette culture style. 
Um, and I think I, I, I possibly know what those melodies are because I actually have been emailing with Jeff. And so I think I know what the instrument is and it's pretty cool. Oh, yay. And you're discussing the instrument that's used on the first track? First and maybe third. I was wondering if it's the third too, because yeah. there is that kind of melodic drone yes. on the third track, Botham as well. So, so basically this is part of a five tape series Jeff did. Uh, Mayash, Dakesh, Invesh, Agresh, and Resesh. All of which I'll be reissuing in a CD box, by the way. Oh, excellent. Uh, when oh, is that? Uh, oh, when can we cool. expect that? Uh, a little bit down the line. Um, okay. We're, so weirdly, Hands 2 hasn't been reissued much at all. Aside from this massive kind of like MP3 DVD-R that came out, which is cool, but personally I'm less into like the, the the MP3 format, so I wanted to do some CDs of it, and Jeff is really into it. So um, I'm just wrapping up the Domain Poetique discography box set, which is Jeff's collaboration with John Hudak from the same era. So that'll be out this month. That'll be out in the next week or two. And then after that, we'll start doing some of the Hands 2 tapes because amazingly he still has a lot of his master tapes which some people from this wow. not so um that's great yeah that that'll be a little bit down the line but anyway so uh this is what he calls uh the body sound series so most of the sounds are made with or around or on his body uh and in, and for those melodic sounds he apparently had a tibetan thigh bone trumpet that Michael Moynihan sent him, presumably the Michael Moynihan of Blood Access. And so I think on track one and three, that's probably this, maybe I could ask him, I, I didn't get a chance to ask him, but I think it might be this thigh bone trumpet because it kind of sounds like that. Yeah, I, I definitely wrote down that it reminded me of, you know, Tibetan types of horns. It's, I mean, this the way this starts is so... Just, just that haze and tape fuzz, and then that, that arrhythmic thudding, accompanied by this. You know, again, if it is a bone trumpet, I love. I, I'm just going with it. But again, like you're saying, if this was sort of the body series, that would make sense. That it would yeah, be so something the, from a body. The other things this could be is he had a biofeedback monitor. He got at Radio Shack, and so he would play tapes into his stomach and chest, and then record the results. Oh my God. <laughs> he would also press contact mics into his stomachs, tap and, tap and scrape against his teeth, and then improvise with old animal bones. Also, respiratory sounds and knuckle cracking. Oh, wow. wow. Yes. Knuckle cracking. Wow. Love all of that. And, and the cassette does include instructions for listening. Do you have that with you, Gray? I do. And yeah, on the, uh, on the inside of the insert, it says... You are a sympathetic resonator. Play this tape into your body using any suitable method. Lay on the floor with a boombox on your chest. Sit on your back. Sit with your back directly against the speakers of a stereo system or small PA. Note your body's responses. Send any conclusions, results, observations, questions, or ideas to big body parts, and then the address. Which well, course, I guess we're gonna have to send this along then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should. We, we should, definitely have yeah. responses. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> this first track, I leaned against the speaker with my back, and I was really surprised that it was a very different experience because you those those low tones really thump your body. Like I, as soon as I leaned back, I felt like I was in some swirling tunnel of bees, and something was like hammering on the wall, and it really, it really rattled the guts. Well, yeah, and it's 
I we 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 pulled up a, a really great interview with with Jeff from a, an early special interest, and I, there's some there's a really a couple really good lines that that I was thinking about a lot while listening to this, and one was was this. He said, recorded sounds are not the same as the sounds we hear while recording. The artifact is different than the original experience. I think it's one of those things where, like, it, it's so, yes, 100%. We all know that feeling where you're recording, you're in the moment, you it sounds yeah. like this. Then when you go back and listen to it, it's it does not sound like what you were hearing or or just is different or and whatever that perception is, whether or not it's it is a perception, if it is you know for what whatever does that thing i think is is such an interesting thing within noise especially and so i think it i was just listening to this track thinking of that where it's like wonder what this sounded like in the room you know as opposed to what we're hearing through through the speakers yeah when i listened to this i was thinking that i get too obsessed with monitoring my own sound as i'm recording and I need to do some sessions where I chill out and just maybe not monitor at all and just like do physical stuff and see what happens rather than trying to like micromanage how I think it sounds in the moment. Well, yeah, and I think, I mean, I loved when we got a chance to talk to Randy Yao last year, kind of thinking about that, where he mm, would just, oh, yes. you know, go in a bathroom and, and, do, and, you know, he wasn't thinking about, <laughs> you know, the, you know, the levels or whatever. He's just going to go in the bathroom, sit in his car and scream, yeah. you know, but I, but I do love that. And I love, yeah, I, but I know what you mean. I, I, I I love when you can sort of get everything set where you're not worried about whether or not it's clipping, whether or not it's, you know, screwing up with the sound mm-hmm. where you could just get into it and live it. And I think especially this tape just feels that way. It doesn't feel like he was it feels like very as it's happening, you know, in the moment. Yeah, I think. In that, in regards to that quote too, and thinking about something like field recordings, which, you know, if the, if this is all sort of somatic sounds, I think, you know, even on the podcast, we're guilty of using the term field recording instead of sort of a prepared recording to mean like, you know, you might be setting up a recording of, of playing stuff on your body with a microphone or with a cheap tape deck and recording the room and the ambience and whatever. That's not technically a field recording though, right? Because that field recording is really going out somewhere and capturing sort of a naturally occurring sound. But in, in regards to that, what you, what you are hearing is never what you're actually getting on tape. There's, it's completely impossible if that works out that way from recording stuff on your iPhone to, you know, recording stuff on your phone, like voice memos to recording on a handheld cassette to recording with uh, really nice microphones and a digital recorder. You're, you're always going to get some different type of sound from that thing. And it's not just to do with the recording quality and the recording quality on this is crude. I mean, this is, yeah. mm-hmm. this is really, you know, 1988, really lots of tape hiss, layers of sort of compounded hiss and atmosphere, especially on this track. It's, you can kind of feel all of these different sets of spaces compounded into one weird, uncomfortable din that's going on through the whole thing. Yeah, but at the same time, I think it's like kind of compositionally brilliant. I was trying to pick it apart last night. And I think what's so smart about this first track and, and the third one too is there's like three or four things that loop the whole track and they don't change. And then there's one thing that changes. So you have this simultaneous sense of like kind of being in the same place, but also getting tugged forward. And there's this battle between those two impulses that goes through the whole track. So you feel like you went somewhere, but you've also been standing still the whole time. 
Well, and especially on the first track, let's say uh, Heoni Trock. I'll, I'll say it that way. Let's say it. Uh, why not? Um, it, it does, because of that repetition due to those loops, it did feel to me like an ancient ritual. The horn that's being used does sound um, very, very ancient. It also feels special. Like it, it, it's, it inspired reverence in me. And um, I really liked that aspect of not knowing the time that this took place. Clearly it's not ancient. You couldn't record back then. Um, and having that human element where, so, so with the trumpet that's being blown on, you, you get air. And I think in other tracks, you know, it's something that's more like junk or metallic or earth-like and, and each track has its own, you know, elemental presence. Elemental presence is a great way to sort of think of this whole album. You're, you're right. I mean, it's, there's so many sort of materials at play, even if it's all from the body, the, the sorts of sounds or maybe things resonating from within the body, or like you said, playing stuff back into the stomach with a biofeedback monitor, like the, the results are so strange and yeah, the, the trumpet sounds sort of being played live. And if it is a, a bone trumpet, you know, there's unlike a regular trumpet, which has what three, uh, three notes, the bone trumpet has one. <laughs> no, you can you can change your armature, but that's about it. So the, it's got uh, lots of three buttons. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's none of that on a on a bone trumpet. <laughs> mm -mm. Mm -mm. And this tape sounds like it might be slowed down, uh, bone to me, a bit. And it does feel it is a a longer performance than sort of the loops at the basis of the piece where there is that nice sort of commonly said that that kind of rhythmic but it is that arrhythmic thumping right it you there's points where it's sort of you feel like maybe it's going into something and then it just sort of go you know falls apart and so it's this it's it's i love that though right so you it's your your mind is sort of trying to fit it into into mm -hmm. a, a cohesive sort of rhythm but it's your mind is trying to craft a story as to what is yeah. happening and um it and increasingly becomes more difficult because you think you hear something that's recognizable and you're like oh it's that oh that's a, a metal can and then you're like well maybe it's not well, oh i don't think so speaking of metal cans on ska i thought yeah. i was just in a room full of old rusted tin cans just rattling and scraping and 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 clawing around the room but i don't know now that now i that this is sort of known that this is body stuff i i guess i i don't know what that what is. is it it could just be jeff gnawing on something that's true maybe <laughs> oh, that is that what is it true. is maybe that is yeah what i it thought is. as a kid did you guys ever put like a crushed soda can in the spokes of your bike I thought that it, like sound yeah, or whatever. Yeah, that like really crumply, tinny sound. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And this, to me, was like a movie soundtrack. Uh, I, I could only think of like the, the ancient tea horse road in China or like, you know, the Southern Silk Road where all the merchants would deliver goods um, up and down these winding trails through mountains. And I just think of like a big junk caravan and this is the rattling that it makes. Cause we were laying down at this point and I was like, we're laying in the back of a junk truck. This that, is yeah, amazing. That's what it felt like just like an old timey <laughs> junk truck. <laughs> a wagon in a caravan. 
I, I also got a, you know, shifting materials inside of some kind of metal, but there's also, and you said gnawing on something, Stefan, uh, there's also th this wet quality to some of these sounds that gives it this kind of gross mouthfeel to it, as well as uh, kind of junk metals. Yeah, there's a, there's a few of those kind of sounds on the tape, but this track in particular, I think I'm hearing those kind of like really cheap internal mics on like a, a Walkman, for example, that like really teeny recording quality. One of my favorite sounds actually is I have one type of Walkman I generally use and I love it because it just makes everything sound a certain way. Now, obviously there's a heavy use of tape loops and such in Jeff's work. There's also a pretty heavy use of loops in your work. Uh, is that something that you you were into before Hands 2, or was that something that you sort of discovered alongside of getting into this stuff? Uh, probably before. I don't know. I don't. My my use of tape loops is so crude. Like I know we 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 say this this that the cash sounds crude, but like I think in execution it isn't crude. And I, I you know I can like barely make a loop. I feel like a caveman crushing rocks into other rocks. <laughs> as far as my technical expertise goes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the the ability to like weave loops on this is so brilliant. And it's funny, my listening session kind of just turned into an exercise in self-criticism. And one of, the, one of the things I wrote- It happens. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff is so patient. Why can't I be patient? Like the ability to, to find like the perfect sound and then just let it ride. I feel like I he, he's so good at that. And a lot, I think a lot of these 80s cassette culture people were because they were recording, recording 30 minute tracks over and over and over. And so they got really good at being really patient. Uh, patience oh, is something sure. that I would consider a, a discipline of Jeff's for sure. And it's heard here, you know, we have, this is a, what, 26 minute tape side, 27 minute tape side. And I got to say, I was a bit thrown off because I have heard the digital of this but my tape uh which is clearly labeled side one on one side actually has side two on that side so i listen to yeah. this in and backwards order yeah. <laughs> uh yeah there's very clearly a one on one side but uh that's fine you know <laughs> so you got botham first i got i actually got botham first and then yeah i had to flip and that's, it's, that's still a good first track i, oh, I agree it's i agree such a good track <laughs> that one it's it's maybe the most soothing piece on it. And you know, the Connellys are talking about uh, laying next to the speaker and laying on the floor. I was laying on my wood floor in my living room with the stereo up. So I also listened to this uh, laying down <laughs> for the entirety of the record. And I, it's not what I normally do for a noise extra episode, but I thought it fitting. And I like the idea of following the instructions in the recording. I think that that is something that, that more people should do if there's some sort of, you know, I mean, play at maximum volume or whatever. Sure. Fine. But like lean yourself against a speaker or lay on the floor and, and put, you know, like put a boom box on you or something. That's those are cool instructions that are definitely worth following. It was fun. Yeah, it I was fun. I, yeah. Yeah. And it and it made me experience. I was not anticipating experiencing these sounds in a different way uh, by following the instructions, but 
I was wrong and I apologize because you truly <laughs> Who get are you apologize to? Just, just, just everyone in general, in general gotcha. everybody, Jeff German, uh, Stefan, I apologize to you as well. Do you apologize to me? Or I just... apologize. I feel like I apologize to you at the time, oh, but okay. I will give you another one. Yeah, I'm sure. sorry. I'll, I'll take it. Um, because you really, oh, and Gray, and Gray, of course. Um, so you really Not accepted. get different... Oh. You feel this in different places. Like like on Ska, I could feel that rummaging like in my torso, but the crumbling and crackling, I could feel it in my skull. You know, like you feel it in yeah, different it gets places. In yeah, right? Like your facial bones. I guess it's your occipital bones getting those really high ends. But it made me think too, we should play this. I was like, I needed to play this into Mike, Michael Connolly. And then record him as a sympathetic resonator, and uh, and then record that. That'd be fun. Well, I th- I'm 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 up for record it. you as the resonator. I would like that. I'm fully up for <laughs> it. And yeah, I mean, if I had to, if I was forced to pick a favorite track on this tape, it would be <sighs> Botham. I just love this so much. That unstable tone punctuated by again we get some of that weird thudding and then that sort of slight noise that comes in and out it's very it's it's very i mean it just has this haunted quality it's like a chime or a chime or a bell or something yeah i just this is the one with the melody right yeah yeah it's it's absolutely transcendent track uh, yeah and and this one there's a tiny Tara noticed it first, and then she's like, "Wait, am I hearing things?" Or and then she she went and put her ear like right up to the speaker because you know when oscillation waves kind of line up and at the you know at the peaks and the valleys they they make that strange flutter. So sometimes you get like a you know an oral hallucination of a melody. So I thought that's what was happening, uh, but no, there were those crazy things just buried in this track and it, it just there's so much subtlety like when and when you said patience like absolutely um so much patience had to be required to make this because it is there's so many things going on yeah this track in particular has a lot of very very small quiet sounds and if you listen they start to come out and by the end of the 16 minutes you're like you've lost track of how many little details there were yeah, it's actually it. one of the things I really felt on this is that it f- seemed really tight and sort of composed when it started. The pieces all kind of fit together nicely, but it, it started to fray and loosen as the as the duration runs. Like it feels like it it just sort of scatters a bit and spreads out from the sort of original composition. And I really like that. It You can feel it just getting a little more swing and looseness and space into the piece while you're listening to it, but it's not in any overt way. It's very, very subtle that, you know, that patience again. And even adding his heartbeat, like this has to be his heartbeat, right? Or at least some sort of body fluid some pumping sort of through. Pumping, yeah. uh, but I, I truly like that sound. I mean, maybe it goes back to like when we were all in the womb and that's what we were exposed to, but like, there's something just so comforting about the throb of this track. Another really another quote from that interview really actually had me it really sort of had me thinking and questioning the way I listen to things sometimes. So he says, I'm not sure we use the sense of hearing much at all. Why do you think it's called paying attention? One has to give up something in order to really listen. And 
in doing the podcast, you know, we have we have such these dedicated listens weekly, multiple times a week. Mm-hmm. And I felt I feel that in my mind, I'm like, no, I'm really listening more so than I ever have in my whole life. I still think that's true. But when he said you want us to give up something in order to really listen, I realized that, well, I'm not fully doing that because I'm writing things down. I have to think about what I'm mm-hmm. going to say on the podcast. I So I am still not totally whisked away with the sound. I still have to, I'm still thinking about, okay, well, I'll, I'll I could mention this on the podcast. We could talk about this. Oh, I can relate this. So yeah, you can't get lost. So, so in my mind, I'm like, Oh no, I'm totally lost in these albums every week we listen to it. But then when I read it, I'm like, you know what? No, I'm actually not. I think I still am more than I've ever been in my life, but I'm still grounded in this reality of, Oh, I, we have to talk about this. So I, I can't, just listen to I'm it. I'm going to need to articulate Which I this thought experience. That was really, I just was like, oh, wow. It sort of like made me rethink the way I think about myself listening. I, don't, I thought it was a really, really interesting way to think about listening. Yeah, I'm jealous you all get this exercise every week because I listen way too much while writing or reading and getting to sit mm-hmm. down and really absorb it. I've listened to this album many times, but this was easily the most uh, pleasurable listen I've ever done. Do you know what that reminds me of is like... Like kids have so many toys, you can't possibly like play with them all, you know, or and, really and, do everything. And adults have so many albums and exactly. tapes and CDs that we so can't this possibly. Is, so this is like us going through all of our things and like actually getting to appreciate what they are. And and I love that because it's like, how many years have we been collecting these things and you know experiencing them? But now it's like we actually get to like spend some time. Like we're gonna appreciate this, like. Right we're now, really we're going to spend the time it. and do it. And it and it's and it does feel really nice because there's so many amazing releases oh, well, yeah. in and this world. Yeah. Actually, I believe in that interview, he also talks about people not uh, slowing down and paying attention to the sounds around them. And that's one of the things I've found myself doing more often is listening to the creak of a ceiling fan and the air conditioner in the other room and, you know, like someone bringing their trash cans in from outside and just sort of paying attention to those things a little more through listening to all this and just trash can is good sound, appreciating the sounds around us at all times. So uh, it's, it's funny because there's so many records that you can listen to in a casual setting. And this, when I worked at a, in a record store for like seven years and I would play records at the record store and I would not like them at all. Right. I would like grab a record and play it or like not, it wouldn't be memorable. And maybe I'd bring it home or maybe I'd listen to it again somewhere. A friend would put it on a, you know, a different record and like, wow, this is really great because your environment and the amount of attention you're paying to something is completely different in those, in those settings. And so I learned that, that I had something might sound really good to me in while I'm at work or, you know, while I'm in the record store and not sound good at home and, and vice versa. And it's very, it's been an interesting thing to go through with like records that have been in my collection for 20 years and pop them on and be like, yeah, this still really holds up or like, this is not sound like I remember it sounding. And some of this stuff requires specific attention for you to properly enjoy it. It really does. Especially something as detailed and dense and, abstract as noise yeah and as the hands to discography goes uh it gets into what we might call going back to what grace said the true field recording stuff like nahan's on sequoia turn back the sun 
which Jeff, I think in one of our emails did refer to as his field recording stuff. And so, you know, I think he's, he's a person who's interested in place and environment. Um, and I think as the discography went, some of the tape machines got put away and it was like, what does the space sound like? And that I appreciate because someone who is attentive to the details of the environment in which it was recorded, the environment in which it could be played like that adds so much to how you, it, it just frames your listen and how you experience it to like think that somebody put so much effort into every little detail. It does make it special. It makes it a relic. Uh, and, and it just, I don't know, it, it heightens the feeling of importance. I think when you're hearing it. Well, I'll tell you, I felt like I was outside when we got to fetid. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, sure. Uh, And now, admittedly, I know that he's in that he's in Colorado Springs at this time, but he does live in Arizona now. So just I, I, I admittedly was in the deserts of Arizona, even though obviously he 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 wasn't at the time. But I just. I just think about him living there. So I think about the desert when I heard this track. So for me, this was dusty and bright. It was, it was the old West. That's, that's where I was. I was in like, lots of space. Yes. Space, but also like wooden structures that maybe are crumbling a little bit. Yeah. It's right. Yeah. 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 Yes. You're right. No, you are right. Uh, Absolutely. I just always think of Colorado being more mountainous. Obviously, there's tons of flatness in Colorado. We, we just always end we up experienced in the mountains. that a few months ago, but oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I still think of the sort of desert and the the brightness of a day, but that sort of bright where it's hazy, where you almost there's like particles in the air, the dust is kicking up. That's where this track took me. You were in the desert. I heard my first words in my notes are rushing water. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Completely hey, we're different places. Yeah, I like it. I uh, like it. And I was reminded, maybe is it the opening of? Uh, oh, I can't remember what movie it is now. Is it? Shit, is it sort of doom? Is it? Uh, or is it? I think of Once Upon a Time in the West. There's like a, like one of those uh, water wheels, and it fills like a thing, and then it knocks mm-hmm. down, and then comes back I up. I want to say clicks. it's Once Upon a Time in the West, but I might be wrong. But I know okay. what you mean. Yeah. I do. I, I can picture it clearly. Mm-hmm. I have a cinematic it, memory, but it doesn't tie to the name of the movie. I think it is Once Upon a Time in the West. But it, I was reminded of that. But like. And I think in that interview also, and I don't have it in front of me, uh, he cites uh, setting setting things in action, like finding ways to automate his processes and to automate the sounds he's making. And some of that might be tape loop and some of that might be a weird pendulum or or this sort of uh, the momentum of this water wheel kind of thing where it's like causing this wood to knock into this other wood. And that's what I heard on this is sort of a crude machine that was not in perpetual motion, but powered by old time technology, like running water, like, like water coming downhill and flowing into it and kind of causing that to, to cause this. It's not mechanical cause it's too crude to be mechanical, but it is, you know, using physics and mechanics. Yeah. I mean, I think we can reconcile those, right. There's a lot of rivers running through dry arid canyons in Colorado and Arizona and and what I wrote was a grimy freight train for this track. So I went a little more industrial with it. But so maybe to our like little picture we're painting. Yeah. 
river yeah. running through a canyon and there's a train on a bridge going over <laughs> yeah the top. no we really are it's really it's cool really actually we're all, vivid we're putting it, that's scene. funny yeah i thought i also thought this was the most modern sounding of all of the tracks uh and i found it really grinding yeah like like again erosion grinding but also i thought this was incredibly meditative and maybe at the end of this track when it all kind of comes crashing down the bandits have blown the supports off the bottom of the bridge and sent the train <laughs> right 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 <laughs> crashing into the canyon yeah there's that, that it, it really ends and then there's just sort of this like wine this tone excuse me this tone presence at the end uh, at least on the tape that that kind of goes for a minute you know the, the track sort of ends but it doesn't the recording hasn't ended and it goes on for a little longer and there's just a little bit of empty deadness there that i also really liked the the final track i can't wait to see how you're gonna say this oh i wasn't going to oh okay <laughs> okay do it though okay okay salivonis Salavonis, Salavonis. Oh, see, I, I did it like two ways. Agreed, Salavonis. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And this to me, so the the seven inch on Pobertech, I if I haven't, I, it's been a minute since we listened to it, but the I remember that it had to do with like rubbing old like rubbings and and rock uh, Pe- carvings. Petroglyphs. Uh, yeah, there was, you go. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I actually felt I was sort of back there with this track. I felt there was this rubbing and writing and rattling. And I, I, I was sort of back in where that seven inch took me. I think there's a hands to tape that specifically mentions Southwest petroglyphs or cave painting or something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and that which is on that's that is also in the Poverty the 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 seven inch. Uh, was such yes, a great that was inch. that was a real treat uh, to discuss. I was possibly just inferring too much because salivonis kind of sounds like saliva, which is in your mouth. But this one to me sounded like some of the mouth sounds potentially oh, chewing uh, or teeth or. I put ceramic, well, glass, wet vegetation. Uh, that that is in the notes, and I think the wet vegetation could easily be just mouth sounds. It's got, it's uncomfortable with with you know with saliva, yeah. And uh, teeth can can uh, you know ceramic could mimic teeth, right? So that's maybe it is sounds on the teeth. You're talking about contact mics on his teeth and and in the mouth and stuff. So. That could actually be the source for this, but there's also it kind of descends into the, these crunchy wet sounds, and there's just layers of kind of hiss and like very loose kind of cycles of background noise on this one too that I really liked. The track downshifts like it does. halfway or, or, or two thirds, which is so smart, and I feel like I need to play with that. Like having tracks where you play with speed more which seems so obvious if you're working with tapes, but I don't, I think people don't often do that. Yeah. With tapes, it's, it's, you know, just a mechanical function, but with digitally yeah. it's, you know, it's a totally different algorithm, I guess. But salivon is actually a thing. Salivonis is the medical term for a salivary secretion unit. And I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it is actually a thing. So I think the the wet mouth sounds. I think uh, I think everyone, I think Very everyone true. who pointed that out might be dead on. I I apparently was was rubbing some rocks together. But so I was nowhere near the, the mouth. But how you get the glass sound like that? To me, it just it sounded so much like hollow tin and like like literal glass. I mean, I don't know how he got that sound. You know, maybe it was glass on teeth. We're talking about a a, a salivary unit here, but also you know 
Terry, you said uh, he only track for the first track, maybe, but I, I actually took that as trake. Like trake. Oh, there you go. Trake, yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Or I also said he won. He won track. <laughs> it could be, I mean, the it name could of be. his label is Big Body Parts. Like he's kind right. of laying it right out. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, absolutely true. And man, this tape looks so cool too. I mean, it's just one of those things of like '80s cassette culture artifacts, right? Like, uh, my copy's on this sort of uh, anyone who's got you know old slaughter tapes and and whatever will recognize this sort of ribbed lined butcher paper kind of feel to it you know it's that that like two-tone textured paper and just xerox on it but the you know obviously done with typewriter really blown out and crude imagery but it's it's so simple but so so effective i can't help but just like look at this thing and and the, the big body parts address is obviously a stamp that's been xerox so it's like got the parts dropped out but the outline's kind of there nothing is really aligned properly like everything's kind of a little off a little crude a little hand assembled like the catalog numbers at an angle i i just love this part of of cassette culture and this kind of time period where you you see these types of papers that aren't around anymore that aren't you know commercially available and you see the craft that someone put in into laying out their tape with the limited tools they had and not having a computer program to contrast to their exact liking or lay out to the exact point or pixel or pica or whatever that they wanted to have it at. And I, I just have an appreciation for that. And when I see something like this, I also, it just really, it works for me. Totally. And even the images are not necessarily distinguishable. Like, is that a body laying in the grass? Is it some sort of um, ultrasound? There's a, an obscured graph it's just that perfect 80s era. Yeah, look. and it's, it's perfect. It, but the the level of obscurity is so nice because it's just intentionally left open ended, and it's intentionally left to be subjective to the viewer, the listener, uh, and I, I just appreciate that so much. Dude, absolutely. Um, Savan, when did you get in touch with Jeff first? Uh, not sure. A few years ago, the first. Thing we worked on together would have been the Jeff German bang the drum CD review I did, which is weird in that it's under his own name, but it came out when he was still hands too. Cause he did hands too for a long time. And then the nineties started releasing everything as Jeff German, but this came out as quote unquote Jeff German quite earlier. Um, and so that CD I did it recently is when we first started talking a lot. And then, uh, that snowballed into a discussion about reissuing the whole domain poetique discography, which is was this collaboration with John Hudak, who's another one of those uh, more prominent '80s cassette culture people that has kept going. Oh yeah. Um, and and those tapes, even more than the hand two tapes, are impossible to get. The the ones on Sound of Pig, uh, Al keeps in prints. So you can get those, but I've never seen any of the other ones. So that felt really right for some kind of reissue. So, and because it's only seven tapes, it's kind of the perfect size to do everything in one box. I'm really excited about that. That'll probably be out by the time people listen to this. And it's, it's the best of both of their worlds. Uh, very hands to tape, crude, grimy. Uh, John's music is similar, maybe a little bit more field recording environmental sounds in the eighties. So the combination is really cool. And each of the seven tapes is really different. So 
I'm very excited about that. It's it's one of those things where you can kind of like hear every little trend in the next 30 years of noise that these guys are stumbling upon in the in the mid to late 80s. And I we there's a John Hudak tape that I got very early on into kind of collecting noise stuff, which is the slumbrous breathing cassette, which classic comes Amazing. packaged yeah. with uh, with a bunch of dried leaves in it and. I don't think I'd gotten anything that had sort of a organic component in it before that. And just sort of remembering what it felt like to open that tape and to have to deal with these, the leaves are now crushed to bits from years of like powder. Did did you, you you never got the pancake spite tape, which was the spite tape that was with the pancakes. Oh, I don't remember. Shoot. I forgot. (laughs) Uh, But you you never got that one. No, 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 I didn't either. I've got the (laughs) blessed cherry pie. The cherry pie still survives. Really? Oh wow. wow! A lot of preservatives in those things. It's it's crumbly, but it survives. <laughs> if it was like a host, wow. one of those hostess ones, dude. Probably those things, some British version. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And those things will probably last way yeah, beyond it's our all time. Chemicals. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that that tape always I've always dug, and I it has a very fond memory of it just because it was, you know, when you're getting into this stuff and and. Just, early on for me some of the stuff i got was just you know normal cds and then you get a tape package with a bunch of leaves and like why are these leaves in here and what is this and now you know i think we take it for granted now how strange noise packaging is like but you know having to figure out where i'm going to keep my copy of fracture of silence is a is a very fun problem to have (laughs) yeah yeah i mean I, i keep my academic and music life pretty separate but I, one of the things I'm into and teach is environmental history. And Jeff strikes me as someone that really thinks a lot about nature and his relationship to nature. And so that aspect of how he puts releases together is really appealing. And you can hear that too. Like someone who's really thinking about where I am, what is this place I'm in right now? And then letting that inform uh, the recordings. Yes. I love that. Mm-hmm. Well, man, thank you so much for suggesting this bringing this like like we mentioned obviously we had done a seven inch episode and had always already been thinking about doing a full episode for sure and of course you know we'd love to to talk to jeff at some point uh so we'll we'll, we'll have to he knows the podcast he... so he may be interested awesome awesome ah, cool. well, well jeff we'd, we'd love to have you on sometime so we'll uh we'll, we'll we'll try to make that happen uh so hey oh and this tape is available on Bandcamp. So the so Force you, Nostalgia people that did the MP3 reissues, they have it on their Bandcamp, which is great. Uh, if you don't want to pay $60 for a tape version, stay tuned. I'll be doing a CD version somewhere down the line. There you go. Nice. Everyone will be looking out for that. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noise extra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.